Well, good morning, church. What an exciting day it is to just announce that and to, to praise God for his provision. Uh, man, it, is, it has been incredible, even in, in the short time that I've been here, to see him work in this way. I uh, do have one quick announcement just to make you aware of. Don't forget that we have our, our church app. Uh, the, the Church Center app, and so we would love for you to download that because that tells you all the stuff about what's going on here at the church. If you want to know what classes are happening, even uh, some of the classes, we don't have many, but a few that are going on through the summer, but especially as we move into the fall, all the classes that are going on. Uh, but I will say right now, we do have stuff even for our youth. Uh, uh, Ryan's got a discipleship group that's happening right now uh, from 6th to 12th grade on Thursday nights. So if you guys have kids in that, that age group, there is still some stuff going on for them. That's just one of the things that you could check out, uh, but be sure and download that app just so that you are in the know about what's going on. Well, since we're talking about our thoughts this morning, I wanted to share just some riddles with you to kind of get our brains warmed up a little bit. Some of you are going to know these right off. I just want you to yell them out if you know them, okay? We'll start off with one that's pretty easy. What can run but never walks, has a mouth but never talks, has a head but never weeps, and has a bed but never sleeps? A river. See, some of you, you I hear you saying it, but you're not sure if you want to say it. Say it boldly if you think it's the right answer. And if it's wrong, we'll make fun of you. All right. <clears throat> Everyone has one of these, but nobody can lose it. What is it? A shadow. Very good. Very good. Okay, here's a good one. I have keys but no locks. I have space but no rooms. You can enter but you can't go outside. What am I? A keyboard. Yeah. I didn't come up with these guys. It's just Google. But uh, uh, So here's one. See if you can catch this one. A monkey, a squirrel, and a bird are racing to the top of a coconut tree. Who's going to get the banana first? The monkey, the squirrel, or the bird? None of them. Okay. All right. You're, you're good. All right. None of them because you don't get bananas from a coconut tree. All right. Here's, here's a Bible-related one. Which biblical character grew up without parents? But he kind of had it. I mean, father, God. Joshua, son of none. That one's for Darren. Uh, uh. All right. Here's... Here's the last one, last one. What cannot be seen, it cannot be weighed, and cannot be measured, but it has incredible power. Air, it could be that, or a, th a thought, a thought. What you think about is what you bring about. Paul begins to sort of end his letter in verse 10, but before we get there, we've got to look at Philippians 4, 8, and 9, and in this last section, he wants us to think about what we think about. And I know that sounds strange to say it that way, but our thoughts are incredibly powerful, and Paul encourages us today towards right thinking. He wants the Philippians and us to dwell on things, to think about things that are going to bring God glory and create within our minds this pattern of virtuous thoughts. So remember that old adage that you are what you eat, which, which is certainly true. Well, when it comes to your thoughts, it's fairly easy to know what people really care about because that's what they talk about because that's what they think about. Let me say that in reverse just so you understand what I'm saying, so you're tracking with me. What you think about is typically what you talk about because that's what you truly care about. 
And because that process is absolutely true, Paul wants us to think about our thoughts. And it all begins with when you hear it. It's all about what you let in. What are you allowing yourself to hear on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis? Because what you allow in, what you allow yourself to hear, shapes your thoughts. And it's, it's important that we understand where it is we're going for that information. And the truth of the matter is we get a lot of what we hear and a lot of what we see from social media. It's, it's where we go. I mean, we all, we all pull this, this thing out, which is great, great for connecting, but it also has the ability to poison our minds. And so we have to be careful how we use that. The reason why advertisements are, are so prevalent on your social media is because they track what you watch. They track what you hear, and they put more of that in front of you, more of those advertisements in front of you in hopes that you will buy their product. And if that didn't work incredibly well, they wouldn't do it. And that's exactly what they do. So when you, what you hear, what you see, pretty soon begins to be the things that you think. And this is why Paul writes in the first half of Philippians 4.8, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, Fix your thoughts. And that phrase, fix your thoughts, is the Greek word logizomai. And it means to count, to consider, to reason about something. So for, in order for all of us to logizomai, for us to fix our thoughts, we need to consider and reason about what it is we're allowing ourselves to hear. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, it says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That is how you fix your thoughts. You, you're careful about what you hear because you know that what you hear becomes the thoughts that you have and the desires that you eventually begin to build inside of you. And so you take captive those thoughts and you make them obedient to Christ. Last week we talked about harmony, harmony in the church, harmony in our friendships, and harmony in the mind. The end goal in all of that was peace. Peace between each other, a peace of the mind, and the same is going to be true today. Paul tells us if we can think in these virtuous ways, and we'll get to the virtues here in a second, if we can think in these virtuous ways, then the God of peace is going to be with us right here in our midst. Isaiah 26 verse 3, it speaks to that idea. It says this, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. So fixing your thoughts on God begins with what you hear. So I would ask the simple question, how's your thought life? That's the part that we can't see. I don't know what you're thinking. You do, God does. How's your thought life? What are you allowing yourself to hear? What are you allowing yourself to see? A lot of us do spend too much time on this, and I'm as guilty as the next person. But what are we looking at when we do that? What are we hearing? Are they things that are improving our life? Would we say that they are edifying? And if, I think some of us have to answer, sometimes, honestly, they're probably not. I get uh, emails 
on about a monthly basis, different statistics, uh, things that I've signed up for, just for sermon illustration purposes. And, and I remember years ago, I, I got this statistic about uh, all the different ways that, uh, that we are able to connect now with social media, but there is a danger in that. And the danger is that although we are able to connect with people from far away, they have found that oftentimes when we're done and we finally put the phone down, we actually feel less connected for whatever reason. And we could probably all stand to just monitor that a little more, but because that is the method by which we hear a lot of things, we just need to be careful with that. How is your thought life? Find ways to fill your mind with the things of God. Ephesians 4.22 tells us exactly what to do here. It says, throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception, and instead let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So you let the Spirit renew your thoughts, your attitudes, by yielding to the Holy Spirit when it comes to what you hear. Paul tells us, I want you to fix your thoughts on what is good and what is holy and be cautious about what you hear. And if we're careful about what we hear, eventually what we begin to hear becomes good godly thoughts. So we move from hear it to think it. Paul gives a whole list of things that we can think about here. He says uh, uh, in Philippians 4, 8, the rest of that verse, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now I want to quickly hit on each of these because they're important. You need to understand what this means. So first on the list of things that you and I can be thinking about is to think about what is true. To think about what is true means that you focus on what is actually real. Last week, we, we saw Paul telling us how to deal with worry and anxiety. And anxiety often comes when we allow false ideas or, or unmet expectations, unreal expectations, unreal circumstances invade our mind. And so our focus begins to be on things that are not true. And Paul says, no, I need you to focus on what is true. There was a study done years ago uh, that tried to identify what it is we actually worry about. And the results of that study showed that only 8% of the things that we worry about are legitimate concerns. The other 92% were either things that never happened or things that were completely outside of our control. And yet we still worry about it. The reason we need to fix our thoughts on what is true is because all of the lies the enemy tries to convince us of. Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. He wants nothing more than to just corrupt our minds with lies that seem like the truth. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preached, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. We have to be people of truthfulness, with integrity, with reliable character, not falling prey to the lies of Satan and the lies of society that try to tell us what truth is, what morality is. We know what it is. We, we see it in Scripture. And we need to fix our eyes on what is true in order to win those spiritual battles. In John, 1 John, I should say, John writes about this in, in chapter 5, verse 5. He says, and who can win this battle against the world? How do we do that? Only those who believe in Jesus, the Son of God. 
And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism and water and by the shedding of his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood. All three agree. And since we believe human testimony, well, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his son. All who believe in the son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. So you fix your eyes on what is true. You fix your eyes on Christ and that helps you see the truths of God so that we might have eternal life ourselves and be able to share that with other people. Next, he says, fix your eyes on what is honorable. To think about honorable things means that we lift our thoughts above the world's dirt, above the perverse behavior that we sometimes see. We, we don't hide our heads in the sand and ignore it, but we just don't partake in it. We remain honorable people, worthy of respect. We show respect, that way we can receive that respect. When I was in youth ministry for, for a time, uh, we had a, a youth group that was very uh, kind of kind of a, a lower class group of kids. They, they struggled a lot in all different ways and, and their parents weren't always around and so they just, they had broken homes. And, and we recognized at some point, these, these students don't have life skills. They don't know how to cook. They don't know how to clean. And, and so we took Sunday nights and, and for a little while we just began to teach them life skills. Here's how you cook meat to, so you don't die. Uh, and here's how you boil water. I mean, whatever it was. So we teach them how to cook and we taught them how to clean. We taught them finances, how to apply for college. And probably the most important one was we taught them how to get a job. And I have to give all the credit to my mother-in-law for this. I should have used this illustration when she was here last week, but she, uh, she taught classes like this and she, uh, she did a wonderful job and she would have them come in and she would talk to them about uh, what to expect, the questions to expect, how to make eye contact, even how to dress. We'd send them home. They'd come back the next week, and they would be dressed like they were ready for an interview. And, and we would kind of talk about their outfit and, and what was appropriate, what maybe wasn't appropriate. And then she would interview them in front of everybody, a couple of mock interviews. Abby and I didn't do it because we knew the kids too well. She came in and did this interview, and about 10 of those students in the next two months went out and got jobs. And they came back and they thanked her, and, and they showed her the honor that she deserved because she had helped them. And I remember in that class, part of what I would teach is just this idea that to be an honorable person is to not only give respect, but also be able to receive that respect as well. And that, yes, it's important to earn a living, but don't forget that as you go about trying to earn a living, that you also earn people's respect. Because those are two different things. That's what an honorable person looks like. No matter who's watching, we have to be honorable people. James 3.13 says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Next, Paul says, focus on what is right. To think about things that are right is to focus on things that are just. Uh, this has to do with the way that we treat one another. It also has to do with how we deal with Scripture. Uh, we should treat each other right because if we treat each other right, we're going to steer ourselves away from arguments and disharmony like we talked about last week. But we should also treat the word of God in a just, right sort of way. And what I mean by that is we cannot just take the word and, and take it, rip it out of context and apply it to whatever we want. 
That does not work. That is not right. We need to interpret Scripture rightly. There is almost always one author's intended meaning in a text, an aim. There's almost always just one aim, and we have to figure out what was he saying to that original audience, and we figure that out, and then we can apply it to our life. We have to approach Scripture in a right sort of way. And I know these, I think these begin to build on each other. We can't say for sure that they do, but I think they do because he's talking about approaching life in a right sort of way. And then he begins to talk about purity, how to focus on things that are pure. And I think those two build on each other. To fix our thoughts on what is pure leads us into this place where we understand a lot of what we see in the world is impure. A lot of what we see is, uh, there's a lot of sexual impurity, and you can indulge in that in a physical way and in a mental way. It's focusing on what is pure also has to do with worship. When we think about pure things, it leads us away from sin. It leads us towards God, towards worship of him. To think about pure things is to have pure motives, but you, you also need to just understand you're, you're, you're going to be, you're going to come under attack. We all do, with a lot of temptation when it comes to sexual impurity. Raising children today is tough in a culture that is beginning, if not, if it hasn't already lost its modesty and its morality. It, it, it is gone, and, and we have to fix our thoughts on what is pure and to help our children and our grandchildren do that same thing so that we can win the spiritual battle of the mind. Ephesians 4.17 says, With the Lord's authority I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life uh, God gives because they have closed their minds and they've hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. And they live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Isn't it crazy sometimes when you read scripture and you realize that could have been written yesterday? That is exactly the culture that we live in in many cultures across the world. But we don't have to live our lives like that. We can focus on what is pure. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young person stay pure? Obeying your word. Fix your thoughts on what is pure. Starts here. You know it. You read it. You meditate on it. You take it in daily. When you do that and you come across those moments of temptation, rather than having all of that junk, all of that impurity, trying to use that to fight back against temptation, you're full of the word. And because you're full of the word, that's what comes up to the surface and you're able to fight back against what Satan is trying to corrupt our, our culture with. But you have to decide that, that you will have thoughts that are pure. Next, he says, I want you to think about things that are lovely. This is an interesting one. The word's only used here in the New Testament. We don't see it a lot in any of the other ancient texts for whatever reason, but the word just simply means lovable or attractive. So how do we think about things that are lovely? How do we be lovely people? Essentially, it's about being attractive, but not in a physical way. You are attractive in your personality. You're a lovable person. You, you bring people together rather than pushing them apart. Uh, my gam, that's what I call my mother's mom. 
she was a great example of just a lovable person. She had this lovable personality. Uh, everything was, was just always, had this, had this piece of, of love to it. And, and she, she loved to uh, work out in her backyard. She had uh, vegetables and she had flowers and we, she had a little honeysuckle vine. And I can just remember her excitement, even just uh, her squeal when she would walk out and there'd be a flower blooming or uh, a vegetable producing its fruit or or even just the taste of the honeysuckle. She had that lovable personality, and, and what happened is people were attracted to her. People want to be around people like that. That's why Paul is saying this. Think about things that are lovely, and you will find people come around you more and want to be part of your life more. Our last virtue of Christian living that Paul mentions here is admirable. Admirable is another word that we don't find anywhere except right here in the New Testament. And it means, it, what it means is to be kind and not offensive. So if someone has a good reputation, they are an admirable person. You carry yourself in a different way. You don't necessarily think about what other people think of you, but you care about how to protect your moral and spiritual life so that you are a good example to others. Paul finishes his list with this sort of blanket statement, sort of a summary statement on thinking about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Fundamentally, what Paul is saying is focus on the better things. He says, if you don't understand anything of what I just said, because it was a little different than a lot of the other passages or a lot of the other lists that he would make, he said, if you don't get this, at least do this. Focus on what is excellent and praiseworthy. At least do that. If you do that, you're going to understand how, how to go about what I'm, what I'm talking about here. You can't go wrong if you just focus on the better things. Now, this list is very different. This is not a typical list that we find in Scripture. It's actually more of a, a pagan morality. Uh, these are Greek ethics, and I know that may seem strange. Why is Paul using sort of these things from the world and applying them here in Scripture? I believe God inspired him to do that, to sanctify these virtues. To say, yeah, these may be the virtues that you guys agree on in the world that are good. We're going to take them and sanctify them for, for Christ, and we are going to begin to live these out in an even greater way. And so his desire for them is to focus on these better things so the gospel can continue to advance. And if using Greek ethics, sanctifying them in that way works, then by all means do it. Finally, Paul moves this passage from the head to the hands. He says, hear it, think it, and do it. Thinking about these things, keeping these virtues and qualities on the forefront of your minds is huge, but it has to be met with action. This is why Paul writes in Philippians 4, 9, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. You can hear things for a long time. You can listen to sound preaching over and over again. You can think all the right thoughts. You can focus on the better things. You can keep your thought life in a place that is, is pure, that is excellent, that is worthy of praise, and you can do all that. But if you don't ever put any of this into practice, what have you done? Take a good look at this list. How could you put hands and feet to these virtues? Paul says, I want you to put your best thoughts into practice. We can't just be people who talk about it. We have to be people who actually go and do it. 
Uh, my favorite pitcher uh, of all time is Greg Maddox. I'm, I'm a Braves fan. I have been for years. And no, we didn't name our youngest son after Greg Maddox. His name is Maddox. We spell it with an O. Greg Maddox is spelled with a U. Abby was looking at a baby book, and she said, what do you think about the name Maddox? I said, that sounds great. I didn't tell her that Greg Maddox was my favorite player. So, <laughs> still like the name. But Greg Maddox is arguably the best fielding pitcher of all time. He has 18 gold gloves to back that up. And gold gloves are given to those who are able to field their position well. The reason he's able to do that is because he practiced over and over and over again. And he kept practicing and practicing. And to practice something takes discipline. Practice is discipline. Paul wanted the Philippians to put the things that they have learned into practice. He, he did not want them to just be content with hearing the word, taking it in, thinking about it, and then leaving it there. He wanted them to put these things into practice because he knows that Satan is trying to do the exact opposite. He doesn't want you to put any of this into practice. He wants you to hear this message and then walk out the door and forget you ever heard it. He doesn't care about what is true and honorable. He's a liar. Everything he says is a lie. All he is is dishonorable. He doesn't want us to focus on things that are right, pure, and lovely. He's more interested in manipulating people to do the wrong thing, an immoral thing, impure thing, and to do just sins that are completely ugly. He doesn't want anyone to see you as admirable or for you to do things that are excellent and worthy of praise. He is fine with you just sitting here and staying in mediocrity. We are fighting an enemy that is content with you sitting on the sidelines. And Paul's plea in this passage is to get your behind off the bench and get in the game. That is what he is saying. Put all these things we've talked about, what we've talked about in these sermons, what he's talked about in Scripture, put all of this into practice. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. And in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you've suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. We are all in this battle together, and we can help each other along the way. Our faith is a head, heart, hands kind of faith. You hear it, you think it, and then you do it. May we all begin to fix our thoughts on what is right and put them into practice for the glory of God so that people might see a difference in us. I know that we are coming out of a season that has been hard. And we celebrate it today. But it's been a hard season. The misappropriation, the pay cuts and spending freezes. Today we, we celebrate our mighty God's provision for his church. It's not my church, it's not your church, it's his church. And I only recently began to really understand just how difficult this season was. Especially for our staff and our leaders. It was hard. And I know we still have more ground to make up. But God's going to provide for that. 
He's going to provide for that. What you think about is what you bring about. And for the last year, we've been thinking a lot about a thermometer. And that's okay. We needed to do that. But I'm glad Matt threw it away. He's got to pick it up and do it in the next service. But I'm glad that he threw it away. Because we've been thinking a lot about that wound. And it's time to begin to heal. It's time for us to start thinking about better things. And hear me. We still need you to tithe. We still need you to give over and above your tithe when the Holy Spirit moves you. But Jesus in Matthew 23, 23, he's talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees tithe every little thing, all their little spices. And he tells them, guys, go ahead, do the tithe. You should do that. But you're neglecting the more important things. See, I don't want us to neglect the more important things. Because what you think about is what you bring about. I want us to focus on, on something a little different. I want us to start thinking about how we can continue God's work here. How we can continue to be a beacon of light in this community for people so that they know Pikes Peak Christian Church is not closing their doors. We're throwing our doors wide open so that more people more often can come in here and say yes to God. We... We want folks in this community to know that the church is filled with people who are truthful and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. We want people to see that. We are here to reach the lost with the message of Christ to proclaim boldly what God has done in our life and then to put into practice the things that we're able to accomplish, not for ourselves, but for his kingdom, for his will, for his church. What you think about is what you bring about. Let's start shifting how we're thinking. Let's shift our thinking to how we can bring more people to Christ. Do your tithes, please. Do your giving above that. I'm gonna do that. Well, the thermometer's not gonna be on that bolt anymore. And like Matt said, the number to focus on is the number after baptisms. That's really why we're here. And so I want us to shift our thinking in that way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just the ways that you have provided for us. Financially, you have provided for this church in some amazing ways. To get to this number is, is fantastic. We know there's more ground to make up. We're going to make it up. You're going you're to provide. You already have provided. We see it in the past. We praise you. We thank you for that. And I don't know if I can pre-praise you, but, it, but if I can, then I will for what you're going to do in the future. Lord, we want, though, to change our focus. We know that what we think about is what we tend to bring about. And so as, as we try to do that, heal us. Heal us from this, this difficult season. Heal those who have struggled maybe the most staff, our leaders, our elders. Help us to, to just keep moving forward. Keep taking those steps forward so that your kingdom expands here at this church. We want to see that in, in our understanding of your word. Spiritually, we want to see that. We want to see it numerically. So we just pray that you expand our territory. 
that more people come to say yes to you because of the ministries that we have here. Yes, because of the giving, but because we, we get out of our comfort zones and we tell people about you. Help us to be a church that really begins to make an even greater impact in this community than what we have in the past and what we are right now, that we just keep moving forward for your glory. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to think about the things that will bring great change to this community. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.